Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. The following is a special presentation of sports on a Sunday morning. Welcome to the Mike Schilt Show on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. I'm Tom Ackerman. The Cardinals manager is with us. How are you, Mike? Doing great, Tom. How about yourself, sir? I am doing great. So last week, I played a couple of little highlights for you. I played Yachty and Pauly going back-to-back on that Saturday afternoon. I noticed that you were excited about that. That put a little little jump in your step, didn't it? Yeah, that was fun stuff right there. Um, very memorable, obviously timely, and uh, just uh, just special stuff. Well, I thought I would take it a step further. Would it be okay if I got your heart pumping here and play a, a string of highlights from your season last year? Yeah, man, absolutely. It'd be awesome. <laughs> Kick back and enjoy. Carpenter sitting on 12 home runs and 41 RBI. Facing the several-time All-Star Craig Kimball, one of the game's best relievers for several years. Ball's hard hit to deep center field. Back goes the center fielder, and it's gone! Home run number 13, big fly, Matt Carpenter! A balanced infield. The 2-2 pitch to Ben Zobris. Ground ball to first. Knocked down by Goldsmith. He steps on first. It's a Redbird winner! The Cardinals have taken the first two games at Wrigley Field, and Molina hits it high and deep. Left center field. Back to the track. The wall. Goner. Tie game in the ninth. One pitch from Kimbrell, and Molina ties the game. Unbelievable. 8-8 at Wrigley Field. A swing and a long one. Home run, Paul DeYoung. Left center field. Back-to-back Jack. The Cardinals have taken the lead in the ninth. Craig Kimbrell is serving up batting practice. The 2-2 pitch for Paul Goldsmith. Goldie swings and hits it fair. Inside the third base bag down the left field line. Edmund is going to score. Goldsmith around second base and he'll hold there with a go-ahead double in the ninth. Oh, man. This big crowd on their feet. 47,000 plus. And the 1-1 pitch, swinging a pop-up. There it is. It goes into shallow left. Out goes the uh, shortstop, makes the catch. Cardinals are Central Division champions. They win 9-0, and they celebrate on the field. We love each other. I love you guys. You're all a tremendous blessing. Next thing, you have completely earned this. 100% earned this. Now, here's the deal. Nobody has more heart than this group. Nobody we're going to play has worked harder, is more prepared, has more heart, has more cojones. Not a one person. Not a one team. All right? Hey, man, get back. 
right. Now, here's the gig. All right. We don't have any team meetings, but we do have three more left. When we pop champagne after the division series, when we pop champagne after the championship series, and when we pop champagne at the World Series. <laughs> second. Two outs in the eighth inning in Atlanta up by one. Green ready. The pitch. Molina swings and he loops it off Freddie Freeman's glove into right field. Tie game. Goldsmith scores. Molina jumps, throws his right fist into the air. Yachty has tied the game with a single that Freeman missed making the catch by inches. Long is the winning run at third with one out in the bottom of the 10th inning. Julio Tehran from the stretch. Now the pitch. Molina swings and it's a high fly ball. Left field. This should win it. The catch is made by Duvall. Tagging at third. Long comes down the line. The throw home. We're going to game five. Long scores on the game winning sacrifice fly by Yadier Molina. And in St. Louis for game four of the NLDS, it's a Redbird winner. Seven runs in the first inning. Wow. This is the first time we've had anything uh, like this on either side. Here is the pitch to uh, Colton Wong. Runners at second and third infield in. Swing and a line drive into left center. That's going to score two more. And the Cardinals lead 9-0. It's a double by Wong. Let her rip, boys. Let her rip. The Cardinals lead 9-0 here in the first inning. Woo! After missing the last couple years, this, this tastes a little bit sweeter, you know. You can you can almost get complacent about it. You know, we had a couple of good good years in a row there where we had five or six years where we made the playoffs in a row and had a deep run through the playoffs a few of those times, three or four times, and and uh, won a couple World Series. And, you know, sometimes I can almost become old hat. And um, not it doesn't, but it almost does, you know. And so it's good to get this uh, – it's good to get these wins under our belt. I'll tell you what this does for our young group of guys too. Once you taste this champagne, you feel these celebrations, you chase that the rest of your career. It never gets old. So um, I'm hoping that one one of a couple things. I'm hoping we win this World Series, but also that these young guys understand how special it is to be a Cardinal and how special it is to be in this postseason and how, how uh, hopefully that will drive their careers the rest of the way. There you have it. Cardinals manager Mike Schilt, what'd you think of that? Wow. Wow. That uh that's special stuff, memorable. Um I loved Wayne's comments. I'd never heard those before and as always spot on and man brings back a lot of fond memories and <clears throat> Tom ready to make some more. Yeah, absolutely. There's something to be said about having a clubhouse full of people, not everybody, but a very large portion of them that had never been through that before, that tasted that champagne for the first time and then a second time. That is very special, isn't it? It is. You know, it's something that uh, you work a lot of uh, a lot of time, energy, sweat, blood, tears goes into just those moments. And, uh, you know, the last couple of years prior to, to 19, we just come up short and some younger guys, I mean, 
there wasn't a ton of, of um, guys that had been with us as guys came in from other organizations, you know, Weeders and Miller and Goldie had experienced um, some in Arizona. But, you know, our young guys that have come up have, have come up short the last couple of years. And, you know, that can be frustrating when you pour your pour your soul into something that, that you set as an individual and team goal and then to, to realize it and experience it and feel how wonderful and special and magical it is and that sense of accomplishment, uh, like Wayno said, just makes you hungry for more. I think of all those highlights, the one where I might have let a little profanity slip when it happened was the uh, Yachty hit over Freeman's glove. It was so close. It was so dramatic. It was unbelievable. It really was. I mean, that that's the one that stays in. There are so many in there, but that's the one that stays with me. Yeah, you know, obviously a huge hit. You know, that was just a – like so many of those games you play, they were just tooth and nail, right, and back and forth. Um, the game four at home against Atlanta, you know, we we lose a lead late um, in game three. We're down. Um, it was obvious it's a, it's a two-run homer. And then we're down, you know, and we just, you know, about four to one in the fifth and, and just remember going out, we made some pitching changes and going out in the mound and the guys were there like, we got this and Yachty, which was interesting. And not surprising, it's like stay with the boys, stay with the boys. We got this. We're gonna do this, you know. And there's like three or four different pitching changes. Same thing, same thing in the dugout. We got this. We're gonna do this. We're gonna be okay. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And uh, you know, I just believe he willed it, <laughs> you know, and just took a tough at bat, tough pitch, and um, you know, we come back and of course tie it, and then he has the psychotic to win it for us. And you went back to SunTrust Park, great park, great fans, Atlanta Braves fans. When, they're, when they want to do it, they can show up and make some noise. And that place was pulsing. They were ready to go. And you just took the life out of them. I mean, I, I just, uh, I've never seen anything like that before. That where a first inning, top of the first, the team goes on the road and just absolutely drills them. What was it like for you? What was it like in that dugout during that first inning? Knowing there was a lot of baseball still to be played. You know, I was thinking about that the other uh, day, um, and I'm, I'm a, not a huge reminiscer. I'm usually a, hey, let's move forward and um, let's make things better or let's move on from something that wasn't as positive. Of course, you learn from those experiences. But I was reflecting on that particular day, and the one thing that struck me prior to that game was just the confidence, the looseness, the business-as-usual approach that, that our guys took to it, just normalizing which said a lot to me, and I knew before the game, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, clearly. Um, you know, they've got a great club as well. So, um, <clears throat> but I did know that we were, we had, we had gone about things the right way leading into the game as far as our, just our daily preparation of the course of the season. So we're just going to go play as an ultimate point. And then we show up and Dex has a great at bat um, leading off and gets on and then Colton, you know, kind of bunts for a hit, but really just trying to get him over to try to get us on the board and, and then guys just stayed within themselves, locked in, just took good approaches, didn't try to do too much. And, you know, full average was really good in game one against us. And we just, uh, we, uh, or game two rather, and did a really nice job of just staying on him. You did indeed. And then went back to the team hotel where you learned that you would end up playing the Washington Nationals back home. As it turned out, the Nationals were hot. I mean, they were hot, hot, hot. Their pitching staff was strong. They had timely hits. They swept you in four, and while that's the end of the story in 2019, and you did finish 
as one of the top four teams still standing. I know that's a painful thing to to watch your team go out. I guess my question to you is how do you respond to something like that in 2020 going in? And you've, you've already been down this road once because we had a spring training 1.0, but uh, right. how do you, how do you get up off the canvas and not let that affect you? Well, it's a great question. Um, as every bit of, you know, it's a game of emotion. We want us to even keel, but um, you know, as, as good as everything felt winning, you know, our division on the last day of the year and winning a, a really hard fought five game series against Atlanta coming in and facing a hot Washington team that we just, you know, and the thing that, that got, well, look, we got swept, right. I'm watching the last dance and, yeah. and Isaiah Thomas is sitting there, you know, they get swept by the bulls after a couple of years. And, you know, he's like, man, I'm, I'm just, you know, losing one thing. I'm just not used to getting swept. You know, that's really not part of our deal. You know, we're not used to getting that. And, um, to happen in a championship series was, was really tough. And, um, all the games were, were hard, hard fought, um, including the last one we got down early. But, you know, those games just went could have gone either way and just didn't go our way. And, um, you know, we obviously could have played better, but just a stung. You know, it hurt. You know, you're right there. You're chasing um, a ring that, that everybody had a common focus and drive towards and um, came up short. Um, but we do want to appreciate what we did accomplish and know they're still hungry for – for more, we still got more business to take care of. There is no question about that, and it does appear that a baseball season is on the horizon. Nothing official yet, but we'll talk it over with Mike Schilt, the Cardinals manager, when we come back. It's his radio show on KMOX. We love having him. He's been doing it every Sunday since March 29th. Since spring training came to an end, we turned around and at the what would have been the start of the regular season, started doing these radio shows. We'll see what happens next. It's 1029. We'll take a quick break, come back with much more. I'm Tom Ackerman on KMOX. Now, back to the Mike Schultz Show on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. Tom Ackerman with you. Good to be back. John Mosaylock will be with us an hour from now, and I'll talk to him about some of these similar topics. And Mike Schilt, the Cardinals manager with us, we certainly seem to be getting closer and closer, or at least we're preparing for the possibility that the two sides could come to an agreement, Mike, on a baseball season. Where do things stand right now in your mind, and do we have a little more openness in Jupiter as the the Marlins, I know, last week opened theirs to their 40-man, but are players still allowed to come in, get treatment, and start to do some workouts down there? Yeah, players have been able to get treatment really pretty much since um, the whole time, just the central guys, Miles, and um, some guys getting Prima Cecil and so forth. And um, But, yeah, the, the, otherwise the facility's pretty much been closed. But as far as optimism goes, yeah, we're still very optimistic. And um, – you know, I think Tuesday, the financial, more formal, which I think has been overplayed a little bit. There's been a lot of um, discussion about what they believe is going to be presented to the players, and, and it may end up being accurate. Um, but nothing really formally has been presented, and it won't be until Tuesday um, where the players will get something that the owners say, hey, this is this is what we're thinking. Um Really, the last week was spent from a health and safety standpoint, testing some of the protocols. There was a 65-page uh, document that I've seen that the players were able to receive and and look at and have suggestions about and encounter with their with their thoughts as well and what they're willing to work with or challenge for for more or different or better. But um, and I feel like those talks went really well from the feedback I was able to 
able to receive. So, um, you know, that's a that's a real positive. And then we'll see how it shapes this this week. Will be a a pretty uh, telling week, I would imagine. Yeah, I would uh, I, I would think so. And then you look at what that handbook said, that document said, the 65 pager. And there's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot to take in. And baseball has always been about spitting sunflower seeds and high-fiving and, you know, putting your finger to your nose to, to give a sign or, you know, to slap somebody on the back after a big play. That Just an adjustment that's going to have to be made. That's going to be part of your spring training if that does happen, isn't it, is to, to go through those things and make that adjustment. You won't have a lot of time to do it, but it's part of the deal. Yeah, it's part of the deal. I mean, our, our um, mini society would be no different than society as a whole. It's just a a new way of conducting business that um, we'll have to adjust to rightfully so, and be respectful of um, people we're around and, and ourselves and, and just make sure that we're, we're going about things in a, in a smart fashion. Major league baseball, I feel like it's done a really nice job um, putting together these proposals. And I'm confident the players will, um, some of the amendments that they've suggested will, will make sense as well for the flow of, of how we conduct our business. But yeah, it's going to be different, but, um, you know, we'll make we'll make the best of it for sure. There's no doubt about that. We talked a lot about pitching last week, and I wanted to continue that by touching on three other pitchers who certainly have the ability. One of them in particular has given you some big moments here over the last couple of years, and then two others, one an exciting prospect and another who's been a prospect for several years. I'll get to him last. Let's start with John Gant, who I've spent some time with. I love John Gant as a person. I, I just love his cool, <clears throat> calm demeanor. But he is a big-time competitor. When I had him for an interview during the winter warm-up, and I said, John, how do you envision your role here in 2020? And he turned and looked at me with a smile, and he said, I'll tell you what, Tom, I want to crack at that rotation. I want to crack at that rotation. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. That's that's the John Gant that I know. He's a competitor, isn't he? And, and he had every shot during this spring training to give you some big, big innings as a starter. Yes, you know, Johnny is a great competitor and um, really good athlete, very versatile pitcher, obviously, for us. Um, I think most of us remember, but sometimes can get lost in last season. You know, Johnny won 11 games for us. Um, so, you know, you're talking about a 91-win total. That's a that's a nice chunk of our wins there. And um, he did it in a, in a kind of a hybrid role out of the bullpen where he would come in and just get out of an inning, get the next inning, but came in in some higher leverage situations and, and pitched really well. And, um, you know, I had an opportunity to, to compete for a starting position um, in spring training. And, look, you know, he's still in that mix. I mean, uh, he did a great job. We talked last week about, rightfully so, you know, Carlos um, being able to establish himself back in the rotation. And, of course, you got Wayne Owen, Jack, and Dakota. Miles looking like he's going to be healthy again to – to start when we, we crank back up. So, you know, it's a crowded, thankfully a crowded deep um, starting starting depth with, uh, you know, and then you got Ponce and KK and Gomber and, and, of course, you know, Johnny Gant we did not talk about last week but deserves consideration was having a really good spring and is just, just a pro's pro and has done whatever we've asked for him and rightfully so has a, an individual desire, which I respect a lot, um, you know, to be in the rotation. Gosh, you have a lot of starters. I'm not gonna. I'm not asking you if you're going to do this, but what is the philosophy behind a six-man rotation? Why would somebody go that route? And 
if I asked you if you considered it, you'd probably respond, well, I consider everything. I'm the, I'm the manager, right? I mean, what, what is a six-man rotation? How does that, how does that help? Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, – you can look at it a number of different ways. You know, I think we'd be more inclined to do it if we come back and the schedule is one that doesn't allow a lot of days off or, you know, doubleheaders, that kind of thing. We would we would definitely look to put in a six-man rotation, have the ability to do it with our talent pool. Um, you know, clearly it gives guys an, an extra day off, um, which has benefit as well. You know, the other side of it is, is – um, there's nothing against, and I don't really believe because the guys take their ball every day. I think our guys have the mindset, and at least I do, that whoever's taking that ball that day is is our number one. Um, but the fact of the matter is, you you do have guys that, you know, Jack Flaherty, you you want to get him the ball, you know, that every fifth day, because um, you, you know you do that over a period of time, you know, Jack's going to lose, you know, a lot of starts or. Mm-hmm. Um, and we like all our road, you know, other, other four guys in the rotation or, you know, so we, if we keep missing them a turn, um, then we don't get those, those starts from, from the guys that, you know, when we do set a rotation left side, you have some exciting possibilities there. We talked about yeah. KK. We've of course discussed some others, including Gomber who has a terrific breaking ball. And I always look forward to seeing what he can do and what his next step will be. But it's been a pretty good ascent for Henesis Cabrera. He has that great velocity, but how has he transformed into a pitcher in your mind, Mike? Well, you know, um, young guy with big arm, you know, came over in a, in a trade with Tampa and um, very athletic, big arm, kind of a initially, you know, kind of looking at a younger left-handed version of Carlos Martinez and um you just look at him and go, man, this guy's got a lot of talent. And then, like most young players, trying to figure out, you know, how to use it um, relative to the league. Came up and, you know, the league, you know, look, the stuff plays for sure. But, you know, he's, he's actually um, maybe giving away some of his pitches and, you know, getting into more predictable counts to throw his pitches. Of course, Yachty helps him with that. But just a learning curve. But, guy that once once he's kind of settled in and got away of the land and got more comfortable with the environment has started to figure out how to go about things and and how to compete to where his ability and his preparation um, are in sync and then there's Alex Reyes who I think has the, the X in in his first name to me stands for X factor he is a <laughs> huge huge uh, piece of the puzzle for you i've always believed and and i i'm sure you agree with that he has tremendous talent i feel like he's been snake bit and for whatever reason he's never been able to put together that full season who knows what that will be or what his role will be mike but how do you see things for alex reyes and i guess the first question is how is he doing health wise he's doing great you know he really is in a good spot um had good communication with him like all our players over the course of this situation and um He's in a good place mentally and physically. Has been able to play catch and and get some mound work in, and has re, has recovered well from uh, just like he did in the spring. You know, he, he he was able to come in for the first time in really three years without any handcuffs on him medically, um, and he was able to just go about camp as a, as a normal participant and, and uh, went and thought he had a really good camp. And and again, you know, the thing about it is he's. He hadn't been able to get on the field as much as, as he would like on the mound. And so just a little bit of rust factor there when you're talking about three years of of um, inconsistent activity on the mound. But 
Uh, every outing, you saw him get better. He's really, really um, sharp guy. Sees the, sees the game well. He's a good competitor. Um, I think, you know, sometimes he, he wants it so bad that he try to tries to force things a little bit, which is not uncommon. And, and it's a trait that really I appreciate in, in athletes. And because he really wants to get back. He wants to contribute. He knows his skill set. He knows he belongs. He came up, um, you know, in, in 16 and, and, and did great for us. Um, you know, at the end of the season in a playoff run. And, you know, I don't know how many people remember that, but he was he was really, really effective. And when you have that success um, and it's taken away from him, you know that you can be not only, you can you know, a major league player, but a above average major league participant and, and contributor um, to a team. You know, as a competitor, you want that. And Alex is definitely a competitor. But good news is he feels good. He's recovered well. Um, his stuff got better as he went in spring training. Um, so the repetitions were helping him and just a matter of just getting back out there and keep, keep letting pitch. You have a lot of options at the back end of your bullpen, don't you? Not just closer, but seventh, eighth, ninth inning too, just to touch on that for a moment. And then we'll take a quick break, but you're, you have some firepower, let's say back there. And I, Alex would be included in that, wouldn't he? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you've got Alex and, you know, look, the, I don't want to leave anybody out, but, right. um, you know, and some guys will transition from some of that um, starters group to, to the bullpen, I'm sure. But, you know, Alex is a part of that. And, you know, Helsley's got a big arm um, that pitched well for us and, and got after it um, two-plus pitches. And you got Brevia, who's been a, been a staple for us. And, of course, Andrew Miller did a nice job for us last year. And um, Gio Gallegos, I mean, who can say – you know, can't say enough about him. I don't know where we would have been last year at the end of the year um, without him and Tommy Edmonds. So, um, you know, a lot of quality guys down there. Yeah, Gallegos came in and saved that first Cubs game after the Cardinals took the lead in the 10th. He was able to swoop in and get the job done, and, and he has been very, very good. I thought Gallegos was was really good, especially after you went down to Mexico for that Red Series. Yeah, you know, it just seemed like after that something something happened, something turned. But he is a gamer, gamer for sure. He was fantastic for us. I mean, you look at what he did and how he was able to do it. He pitched in a lot of high leverage situations, and he was able to um, get righties and lefties out. He he was he was a real real big part of of what we did, and, and probably one of the more underrated guys in our club last year. I totally agree. Mike Schilt, the Cardinals manager, is with us. Quick break. We'll come back for a final segment. It's the Mike Schilt Show on the home of the Cardinals, KMOX. Now back to the Mike Schilt Show on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. Welcome back to the show. It's 1049, about six minutes left with the manager of the Cardinals. Love having him on the air. Love the Cardinals tradition. And I think they want to try to do this. They may have to push it back. It's scheduled for late August, but it's the Cardinals Hall of Fame induction. And it's such a cool event. There are two that are put, uh, that come off of the fan ballot. And then there's one veteran selection that is put together by our committee. I'm, I'm absolutely, Mike, it's an incredible privilege and honor to be part of the Red Ribbon panel that selected Bill White for induction into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. And on top of that, Tom Herr and John Tudor, two members of Whitey Herzog's 80s teams that are major contributors to the success of those teams. Her won a world championship in 82, went on to the World Series as well in 85-87. And we know about the 85-87 uh, amazing pitching of John Tudor. What 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 two great gentlemen and, and Bill White also a big part of it. What a great tradition, Mike. 
Yeah, wonderful tradition, and um, what a what an honor uh, and well deserved. And congratulations to to Tommy Hur and John Tudor and Bill White. Well deserved, and um, yeah, just excited for those guys. And what a uh, what a select group to be in, in a, in a as we know a special organization. I'm I'm sorry that Keith Hernandez didn't get in. I, I I'm a big fan of his. I think he's one of the greatest first basemen of all time. Uh, unfortunately, it is a ballot, and you know it's the hard part. Was there are a lot of great names on there, Mike? I mean, only two get it, and I love Keith Hernandez, but uh, her and Tudor get it, and and hopefully Hernandez gets his shot next year. Well, that's what makes it special, right? It's 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 just select, and uh, you know it's it's uh, guys that you know there's a lot of a lot of candidates for a storied organization, and Keith Hernandez, man, what a great player, what a great defensive player, and. Um, you know, maybe his time will come, but right now, just uh, graduation of the group that's in. He's such a good guy, too, and a broadcaster for the Mets, and that could be part of it, is that he does get an association with the Mets and, and his success there. Won a world championship there in 86, but he mm-hmm. won here in 82. He was a tremendous player for the team here in the 70s and 80s, and we hope the best that Keith Hernandez can, uh, at least I, I, I think I'm, I share the sentiment with a lot of people. Uh, I was going to ask, I meant to ask you this last week, and we got into this discussion about dealing with media, and I, I think that, I think you handle it very well, and I, I just wanted to know when you, outside there are outside pressures, of course, that come in, and you have to figure out a way that they don't permeate your clubhouse. But how do you deal with answering questions from the media several, sometimes several times a day, especially during the season, and have that? I, I guess part of it also was watching the last dance. It, it made me think about it because Jordan had these daily briefings with the media, and he did admit sometimes that, you know, there's. That it can turn negative at times. How do you sort of steer that? Like, I don't remember you getting upset with the media one time. I think there was that one day that you stood up and you gave a little speech and said, we're going to be fine. We're going to chase after first place. That was in the middle of the season. But you seem very even-keeled when it comes to that. Yeah, you know, it starts from a really growing up in a double-A clubhouse and running the scoreboard um, for, I guess, probably five years. I did that every night. And there was two papers then, you know, a, observer in the news and um stan olson and glenn rollins were the beat reporters for the team and um and then you had the the um media out there the you know tv media that would be filming games and i just remember being there running the scoreboard and um having those guys talk about their deadlines and of course it was different kind of deadlines then um and then getting down in the clubhouse which i'd go immediately to the clubhouse and and just see um see how the guys that treated them well, how much they appreciated it, how much it allowed them to do their jobs. And I just saw that they had jobs to do and they were, you know, they had real pressures as well um, to be able to deliver. And and so when you saw guys like Cal Ripken, you know, talk to them and, and, and deal with them in a, in a very matter of fact, um, accountable manner after games or, or before games um, and then seeing how much they appreciated that. And um, then seeing the converse of that were, or they're trying to do their job, um, just trying to get a get something for a story that you know they can represent uh, how the game went and 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 see a player or a coach or a manager, you know, not be able to give them any any information or, or snub them or 
or blow them off and, and just see them how, like, man, they were just scuffling and, and some degree hurting, just trying to, again, just trying to do their job. So that reference point always stayed with me. And I appreciate that, um, you know, that, that, you know, the questions come from a place of they're representative also of, of um, our game. You know, they're, a, they're a medium that allows our game to get out. It's a medium for our fans to be able to get information and I have a responsibility to, to um, to be able to provide you know within context information that I can um, to be able to get that information out of people that care about our team. So I you know I've always felt strongly about that responsibility. And, and Tony gave me some real good advice when actually I was in Double A. He said you know you have a any reporters you deal with. I said yeah I mean not close to what you do in St. Louis or anything nationally. He goes yeah but um, do they ask you tough questions? And there actually was a particular um, media member in, in Springfield who was great and asked me a lot of tough questions. And he, and sometimes it would annoy or frustrate me. And he said, listen, just appreciate and be thankful for that tough question, especially after a game or something, you know, related to strategy, because they're giving you an opportunity to explain yourselves, to explain yourself. And, and, you know, you're not trying to convince anybody, but you do have an obligation to explain to your uh, fan base. And you have an obligation also um, to be able to, and it's, it's it's a nice feeling to be able to to say what 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 you were thinking. And um, so anytime I get those questions after games or or they get the tougher questions, then I just appreciate the fact that I've gotten it. I get a chance to explain myself, um, share the information with our with our fan base, right, wrong, and different. Um, and then you know I don't I don't take it personally at all. That person's doing a job. No, it's very well explained. I loved Tony's quote about that. He always said, "Trust your gut, don't cover your butt." Right? He, That's right. You know, yeah. You know, you you do what you think's best for the information you have, and you know, candidly, there's some times where you're um, you make decisions based on information that that you know you don't that doesn't need to be shared to anybody else, and um, and that's okay too. You share what you can, and people can accept it or or not, or you know, it's my, not my job to give them to understand or, or agree or um, or even see the, the full picture. I can just share what I know is is um, I'm capable of sharing and my thoughts behind it. And and um, end of the day, that's all I can really do. But but um, always grateful for the opportunity to to be able to share what I was thinking and what we were thinking and the decision that went into it. And and uh, that's really all you can ask. That's part of the reason for this show, and we really appreciate these moments very much. Thanks for doing it. We will catch up with you next Sunday. All right, Tom. Have a blessed day, buddy. You too. There is Cardinals manager Mike Schilt with us on KMOX. Sports on a Sunday morning continues after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.